0: Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Friday, August 21st, we are starting a new series here on Sharper Iron. It's called Wisdom and Instruction. And over the next two months, this series will take us through the book of Proverbs. If you hear the title of the book, I'm guessing that you're thinking of, well, Proverbs those compact one or two line sayings that have practical and memorable advice. And while we'll certainly encounter our fair share of those, we will miss a ton if that's all we look to find. The book of Proverbs seeks to give us wisdom, which isn't merely advice for life. True wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord and points us to the Savior, Jesus Christ. Today's text that gets us into the book is Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Dustin Beck. Pastor Beck serves at Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Ward of Texas. Pastor Beck, welcome back to Sharper Iron.
1: Good morning, Pastor Apple. Thank you for having me. Glad
0: to have you. So we're starting Proverbs. Let's talk some basics of the book. Let's start with the author or authors, perhaps in this case. What do we know about who wrote the book of Proverbs.
1: Right. So it it begins, the very first verse says, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Um, And so that sort of gives us, uh, similar to uh, in the epistles, right, that begin by uh, saying who wrote it and then who it was to, right, Uh, kind of gives you the idea that, well, this is Solomon's book of wisdom. Of course, uh, we remember Solomon. He's the, um, he's the king that followed David uh, after uh, David uh, married Bathsheba. Um, and after Absalom's uprising and all the other children were slain, Solomon eventually gets to become king. Okay, so uh, then when he becomes king, this takes place in 1 Kings 3, um, the Lord shows up one night in a vision and asks Solomon, hey, uh, ask what I shall give to you. And Solomon's request was for wisdom. Uh, discernment between right and wrong. Uh, and the Lord was so pleased that uh, he gave him wisdom, and then he gave him also the things that he didn't ask for, like riches and honor, the potential for long life, etc. cetera. So, um, yeah, we get this idea from the very first verse that this is going to be Solomon's uh, book of wisdom. But as you read through the book, uh, you're going to see that there are several other authors mentioned. Um, a, a simple group called the Wise Right. The wise ones, they are mentioned in uh, in twenty two seventeen and in twenty four, twenty three. Um, there's an individual named Agur, which is just fun to say. That's a good. Y'all's next son should be named Agur. Agur. Timothy. Yes. Uh, and that's in uh, chapter 30, verse one. Uh, King Limuel is mentioned in chapter 31, verse 1, and then Solomon, his, he's specifically named uh, in 1-1, 10-1, and 25-1. Okay, uh, so there's a couple of sections uh, from 1, verse 8, right after our text today, uh, through 9-18, and then 31 Ten through thirty one they just seem to be anonymous, right? We can maybe ascribe those to Solomon or maybe just somebody else uh, so there I, I was reading through a couple of different commentaries, and some scholars are going to view uh, the prologue here one one to seven uh, as indication that Solomon was the compiler of the entire book, um, uh, although some of the proverbs weren 't written by him. others see him simply as one of the authors, uh, and that the prologue was meant to just sort of pay homage to the fact that. Um Solomon was the the wisest king, the wisest uh, of the wise men that ever uh, ever lived. So we got a little bit of mystery there, uh, but I think that, that that happens oftentimes in the scriptures. Uh, I mean a good example would be uh, you know at the end of deuteronomy, uh, which you know Deuteronomy, one of the five books of Moses, uh, the last chapter talks about you know, Moses dying. So probably he didn't write that part. Uh, it was probably written by Joshua, you know, et cetera, et cetera. We don't have a problem with that uh, in terms of our understanding of Scripture, in terms of the way uh, that Scripture uh, has its authority first from God. Uh, and so this just – it makes it a little bit complicated to say who wrote the book of Proverbs. Uh, I, I tend to think that it, it makes some sense uh, that Solomon is the uh, – he's the wise man, right? He is sort of the, uh, the mold of wisdom. And so everything is going to kind of fall under the subheading of Solomon, a wise man, he said things. And then there are going to be a couple other people as well uh, that had some wise things to add as well.
0: The book of Psalms is another very good example of oh, this sure. sort of compilation that will happen sometimes in the scriptures that has no effect on whether or not it is the word of God. It is the word of God, even if you can't necessarily say that, say, David wrote all the Psalms because he didn't. Right. And there's this idea of compilation. And there's a good chance that Proverbs involves some of that compilation as well, sure. whether and, and Solomon as a a primary figure within all of that, certainly an author of good chunks of it, whether you can ascribe absolutely everything to him, well, there are certain parts you certainly can't. And then there are some parts where we're left saying maybe, probably, even. And, and by default, I think we, we generally and I know you'll hear me talk about this later as we go through this series. Unless it is one of those sections by Agur or yes. Lemuel, another fine name for a son, I would think. Indeed, then you're just going to hear us say Solomon says right. just by default, because he he is that compiler and author of of a great amount of wisdom, and does stand behind it, as you said, because of that background that we're given in First Kings, chapter three. Now, maybe let's talk a little bit more about Solomon and this wisdom, and and again. I know that the dating of the book is perhaps a little bit tricky as well, particularly with this matter of compilation and when some of those other authors would have lived. But thinking of just Solomon in his own life and reign, we don't always see wisdom in everything that he does, particularly later in his reign. So how does that play into the way we're going to read Proverbs? <laughs>
1: yeah. Um, so Solomon, of course, uh, he is most known uh, for his wisdom uh, for the construction of the temple, uh, of course, which is uh, which is a, an amazing feat. Which is uh, you remember, of course, uh, when his father David had uh, had it on his heart to build the temple, uh, that the um, the Lord went to Nathan in a dream and said, "Hey, listen, <laughs> you know, um, I haven't commanded you to build me a house. Instead, I'm going to build you a house." Right? And remember that that wonderful um, that wonderful promise that um, a descendant of David would sit on the throne forever. But Solomon is the one uh, that actually gets to fulfill that. He's the one that uh, you know he doesn't have the blood on his hands that David had on his. Um, he doesn't have the um, uh, that especially um, you know the David Bathsheba Uriah incident, all of that kind of thing. Um, Solomon is 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 free from that. But he's the way that I always like to put it is that Solomon had all the wisdom in the world, but he didn't always use it. Right. Um, uh, you ever meet somebody who's uh, too smart for their own good? Right. Um, somebody. Sometimes that might be me. No, never, never. <laughs> right. Somebody who's uh, who's so smart, who's so advanced, who's so, um, you know, um, so enlightened that they move beyond, um, I don't know, the, the clear truths of Scripture. Yeah. Or the, the common sense uh, things that uh, that we all learn, you know, I mean, even in science this happens where people all of a sudden they become more enlightened than, uh, than what, you know, what a, a child could understand, you know, um, not to get into too many uh, current events or anything like that. But Solomon doesn't always use his wisdom, right? And so uh, we see uh, in First Kings 11 sort of the downward spiral of Solomon, uh, which, you know, that's 1 Kings 3 to 11. I mean, you've got all of these uh, these detailed accounts of Solomon's great wisdom and his great acts and people coming from all over the world to test his wisdom and to experience just how, how smart this guy really is and how his God is with him and everything else. Uh, but then he winds up with uh, 700 wives and 300 concubines. Um, all of that uh, much of that, I should say, uh, is uh, is political marriages and things like that. Uh, but his love for uh, for the ladies uh, kind of uh, it it pulled him away from his love for God, uh, and so Solomon winds up being sort of a tragic uh, tragic figure um, that God gives him. Um, exactly, you know, what he asks for, which is this amazing gift of being able to discern right from wrong. Uh, but it's, it, it's almost sort of reminiscent of Adam and Eve and their desire for the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, right. But I mean, they come to know evil in an experiential fashion. They know by doing, um, whereas God, uh, of course, doesn't know evil by doing evil, but God simply is, you know, he, he's all knowing, he's omniscient. Um, Adam and Eve want that, uh, and they wind up creating sin and death. Um, Samuel or Solomon rather wants that, and he winds up um, he winds up putting himself in a pretty bad situation.
0: Yeah, a tragic story indeed. I think it's a good way to to think of Solomon, especially toward the end of his life. And that's not to say one way or the other if he if he fell from faith by the end, but to recognize the tragedy of all this wisdom that he had, that he had learned, that he wrote. And yet, did not always put into practice. That word wisdom that we've been talking about is a key thing in the book of Proverbs. And oftentimes the book of Proverbs is classified as wisdom literature. We talked a little bit about this when it came to the book of James, because James shares many characteristics with what's called wisdom literature in the sure. Old Testament. So here we get a chance to look at it in the Old Testament. What is wisdom literature, Pastor
1: Beck? Okay, so wisdom literature um, is, I like to describe it. We're actually studying James right now on our uh, in our Sunday morning Bible class at Holy Cross. Um, I like to describe wisdom literature as the, uh, the place where the rubber meets the road, right? This is the practical, um, the practical experience. This is the, um, so, uh, you know, the theology is good, you know, the, the preaching and the proclamation and all of that is, is good and right and helpful. Um, but what exactly does that look like? <laughs> what are the results of that preaching and that good theology? You know, so we've heard uh, the gospel right we've heard romans we've had a a good exposition of what it you know of what um, this faith is all about so what does that look like in our lives right Uh, and so when we get to wisdom uh literature we're going to talk about um kind of the way that creation works right because wisdom is something that's um that's it's built into um it's built into creation around us and so a piece of wisdom might be something like, uh, when the stove is on, don't touch it. I mean, that's that's my best shot at, at trying to be wise. It's good advice. Right? It's good advice, right? But that's, that's wisdom literature, and it's wisdom that hopefully we can impart to our children, um, you know, and they don't have to learn it on their own, right? But, I mean, one way or another, they're going to, we pray, <laughs> gain that wisdom uh, before they, um, you know, I don't know, get severely burned or have some kind of serious uh, serious altercation type deal. Uh, so, wisdom literature, I should mention, uh, is something that's not unique to Holy Scripture. Um, many different cultures, especially in the ancient world, uh, had their own brand or version of um, of wisdom literature. Um, sometimes, uh, folks, uh, you know, uh, especially the well-to-do kings and uh, and you know wise men, scholars, uh, philosophers, uh, they had people that would follow them around. And when they would say smart things, um, uh, I, I have to imagine they would just turn to their scribe next to them and say, write that down. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's like that, maybe not, but so their sayings, uh, and the sayings attributed to them, maybe they would, didn't even, weren't even the ones that all said these things. Those things have in many cultures been preserved. Uh, and so you have, uh, I mean, um, I mean, I guess if we went east, we could say like Confucius, right? Confucius say all kinds of different things uh, that are, you know, for some people, wisdom. For some people, um, kind of that rubber meets the road uh, practical advice.
0: Mm -hmm. So, I mean, maybe another example that some – some of us would be a little more familiar with something like Aesop's fables would be considered something like wisdom literature, because it's not always, I was talking about this in the the introduction that we think of Proverbs, a proverb, generally speaking, is a one or two liner, very memorable, just a short bit of wisdom. You can memorize it very easily. You can cross stitch it and put it in a frame and stick it (laughs) up on your wall. Right. That's right. There's, there's any, you could put it on your coffee cup that you're grabbing. Yours is is just plain, but you could put a, a proverb on your, on your coffee cup. I know I've got, Several like it's that. It's toned down. That's right. Lying. Sorry. <laughs> You're fine. So we've got these examples of, of wisdom literature that go beyond what the scriptures have. What makes the wisdom literature of the Word of God unique?
1: Yeah, this is a great question. Um, so Proverbs is, is written in a different context. Than all the other secular wisdom literature in the world, Proverbs is written in the context of understanding um, who Yahweh, who the Lord, uh, the God of Israel is. That He is the Creator of all things. Uh, of He's the Creator of of everything that exists, and all of the systems, and all of the um, all of the. I mean, we would say all of nature, right? And so the fact that fire burns, the fact that um, ice you know, causes frostbite, um, all of these things that we have wisdom about, and even wisdom itself, right? Um, it is created by the Lord. He is the one who has instituted all things. He is the one who has knit together creation in a way that actually makes logical sense. And so the more that we learn about, um, about nature, the more we learn about creation, I should say, um, we learn more about the Lord so there 's a universal timeless nature of wisdom. it exists always right um, it 's always a bad idea to put your hand into the fire it 's always a bad idea um, to leave your uh, leave your hand exposed out in the cold then these uh, these timeless uh, this timeless wisdom comes from the Lord himself, uh, and so you can look at it and you can say that some of the things you 'll read in the book of Proverbs they seem very similar to just kind of common sense. Uh, you know, they seem very, you know, um, you know uh, instruct a, a child in his youth and he will not turn from it. Okay, well, that makes sense. You raise a kid right and they're going to be okay, right? But uh, this book is different because its origin, its author, the focus, and, and kind of in between every line um, is this God who isn't just some kind of static natural God, but he is actually a personal God who… Uh, Sort of, you could say, invades history, right? He's the God who um, didn't just stand by and allow things to happen, but instead he called out to Abraham. Instead, he made a people and chose the people to be his own. And so this is their God giving them wisdom for their journey.
0: Right. And so in in that way, it does fit into the narrative of the Old Testament and the entire scriptures, even if it's not always readily apparent, which I, I think is one of the dangers of the book of Proverbs is to take those one-liners and yeah. memorize them and then forget that fuller context that isn't always mentioned explicitly in the book of Proverbs. In the first nine chapters, where it's less of the the one and two liners, we're going to get more hints of that. And we need to carry that context throughout the book so that we don't turn it into just sort of practical advice for life. It is that. There's lots of that, and we don't want to miss that. But if that's all we get out of it, then we've then we've missed what God is really trying to impart to us here, which is more than just not only where does the rubber meet the road, yeah. but but I mean, it, well, it, it gives us it, this is about the Christian faith, yeah, and and, it, and without that, we've missed a big chunk of the Book of Proverbs.
1: So uh, I mean, I agree with what you just said. Um, maybe this I don't know if uh, if Proverbs because uh, that's one of the things that, that commentators kind of point out is that Proverbs doesn't really fit. Into the narrative, but it certainly informs the narrative. Right. It's applicable to the narrative, and so as you have Solomon and then his son Rehoboam, and then you have you know the divided kingdom and everything like that, um, the people of God would do well to hearken to this wisdom, to listen to it, um, to learn from it, uh, because it's going to inform them. On their journey, and so you know when you just brought back up the uh, the rubber meets the road, uh, the Im- most important part about the rubber meeting the road is where you're going. Right. Yeah. 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 I think that w- that plays well, and right? that, and
0: that's a big. I mean, just that that image is a big one in the book of Proverbs. I don't think it's going to come up in our our particular text today, but the image of a road or a path or yeah. a way, and that there's two of them, <laughs> and one is right and one is wrong, one is right. good and one is bad that's a huge thing for the book of proverbs sure. and, and to actually put it into practice i mean i think that's that's where you you do start to you know put that that narrative together as you see how these things do play out in various places in in the scriptures i mean we're going to we're going to see later some of the things that solomon writes that sounds a lot like what happened to solomon at a certain point in his life or to his father david at a certain point in his life yeah. and and you see that how it does it provides that, that fits with the narrative, even if there 's not a a quote story, although and this this maybe can get us to our next point, I think there are some characters mm-hmm. in the book of Proverbs, mm-hmm. and, and not to i don 't mean fictional but mm-hmm. but different actors, so for example lady wisdom yeah. or lady folly there 's going to be a, a forbidden woman. This is one of the features of poetry right so we 've talked about wisdom literature even a little more narrow, perhaps, is the idea of this is poetry, not prose. So why is that important to recognize? And what do we need to know about Hebrew poetry, particularly as we approach the book of Proverbs?
1: Well, the first thing that I learned about Hebrew poetry is that it's much more difficult than Hebrew prose when, in terms that of translating true. and understanding and Very true. figuring out what on earth it means. I, I think we, we took Hebrew from the same professor. Right. And so uh, anytime that we were looking at poetry, it was like buckle your seatbelts—we're in for a in for a tough day. But um, poetry in Hebrew um, isn't quite like poetry in English, where we focus on uh, as much on you know um, emphatic syllables and unemphasized syllables. Um, there's not as much rhyme or things like that. That's always my favorite part of poetry—is when it rhymes. Um, that's always the saving thing. It's like, ah, well, at least it rhymed. It wasn't a good poem. It wasn't a good hymn, but at least it rhymed. Now, uh, Hebrew poetry, um, is, is often, uh, characterized by, uh, what we call parallelism. Okay. Which means that it's going to take, uh, take place in a couplet. Okay. Uh, or even sometimes a triplet. Uh, but usually it's just two lines. Uh, and so you can see this in the Psalms and you can see this a lot of times in Proverbs as well. And you had alluded to this earlier, um, that you have these just little, you know, little one or two line sayings um, that are really memorable, right? Well, they're supposed to be memorable. That's, that's by design, right? But the idea is that you have the first line and then the second line, um, it reflects back to the first line. And it can do that in, in a numerous, numerous different ways. And so either it'll use similar grammar, right? Um, or similar sounds. I love that. Like the, uh, alliteration or assonance where it uses the same consonants or vowel sounds. Um, and again, a lot of that is lost on us in English. Um, ask your pastor about it sometime. He can probably find an example for you. Um, sometimes also you have uh, similar thoughts, right? And so you'll have the first line and then the second one can, uh, can compare or contrast the first one. And so you'll have like, um, you know, uh, a saying about a wise man and what he's like, but the fool does this, and it's the opposite, right? Or you'll say, um, a wise man does this, and then it'll say, and he does this. So it further explains it, right? Uh, so there are different ways that we can, uh, we see this in the scriptures, um, and this is just, it's something we got to get used to with uh, with Hebrew poetry. Um, is something that helps us to kind of walk through and understand, well, Why does it sound so repetitive? Why is it going? Why is he going right back and saying something uh, like that? Um, You know, uh, there's a lot of different examples. Anytime you look at the Psalms, you can usually look at a verse. uh, You can look at a half verse by half verse and you can see how the second verse, you know, it it sort of it sheds a little more light on uh, back on the first half of the verse.
0: Right. In, In one way or another, sometimes by an amplification Sometimes by a contrast, there's numerous ways that the two lines can relate to each other within Hebrew poetry. The other thing about poetry, which is what I was uh, bringing up with the idea of Lady Wisdom, Lady Folly, is that imagery is a big deal. And this is true not just in Hebrew poetry, but in poetry in general. That's the way poetry works is that it's intended to paint a picture in your mind. And I think that's particularly helpful for us as we approach the scriptures, which we are very used to the narrative where that, I mean, it's telling us the picture, it's telling us what happened, we're imagining it, to see the, the imagery in the poetry, I I think is a very helpful tool for us, and and hopefully prevents the text from becoming uh, stale. The text isn't stale, right? But I think the more we engage our imaginations, as, as Pastor Brian Wolfmuller was the one who really put this on to me, put sure. this put me onto this, See particularly, text, yeah. yeah, to 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 visualize what's the picture that's being painted. He was talking about the Psalms, but I think it applies to the Proverbs as well. Absolutely. And I think the more we do that, the the better equipped we're going to be to to handle. So it. there's a
1: figurative nature to it, right? But it's an abs- it's still an absolute meaning. That doesn't right. mean we're talking about you know we're. We're not getting squishy here as far That's as right. our, this is still god's word. it is still absolutely true uh but there are times when um I mean I guess in a similar way it's when Jesus says there was a certain man who you know died and went to you know uh went to Hades and then Lazarus went to abram's bosom well, is this lazarus jesus' friend no he's he's telling a story about a guy right right so this is it's similar to a parable uh it has absolute concrete meaning but sometimes there are figurative uh kind of flourishes that help us to uh to visualize it yeah i like that
0: right and and two i mean that's i think this is this is a conversation that we usually bring up we talk about well what kind of literature are we looking at right And, and sometimes we don't always well why is that important why why is it helpful to recognize that this is wisdom literature and not a narrative or you know to throw in maybe a, an easier, you know, the book of Revelation is yeah. a different type of literature. Why do we need to know what type of literature we're looking at? How is that helpful to us in interpreting scripture?
1: Well, it, it helps us because we can, we can avoid the trap of, um, of taking things uh, in a way that they were not intended to be taken, right? Uh, the, the amazing fact that our Lord, uh, he communicates with us through human language right uh and human language is a strange thing because we use metaphors right sometimes we use hyperbole you know we use different uh different um different idioms and different ways of speaking uh different figurative language Um, and so the lord has uh, he has sort of come down to our level to communicate with us in the way that we understand and so if we uh, if we take that which is intended to be read literally Right. That Jesus died on the cross on, you know, Golgotha, um, that he rose again on the third day. If we take that and we make that into a figurative picture language, well, you know, he's just trying to um, give us an, an image for our mind's eye about um, about death and resurrection or about, you know, um, putting away the old and, 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 and becoming a new person or something like that. It's all about moral improvement. We've completely lost the picture. We've completely lost um, well, we've lost the Christian faith, for one, uh, which is kind of a big deal. Uh, but you know, the idea that we need to take literally what is literal and we need to understand figuratively that which is figurative, um, I, it can't be stressed enough that we need to understand uh, the genre of what we're reading and what that genre actually looks like in terms of, uh, in terms of our study of the Word of God. Right, And that's why we've been able to spend 30 minutes and we've only gotten one verse into the text for today.
0: I haven't even read it yet. I
1: know, right? We're <laughs> going to have to save that for maybe in a couple of minutes. That's
0: right. And, and just to, to tie that bow on it, this yeah. is not to say that, that it's not true or that there's not some sort of absolute that we're talking about. These things are true. It's simply being communicated through this poetic language, and we want to recognize that as we read it and understand it. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO, looking at the first part of the book of Proverbs. We're going to take a short break, but we will be right back. Please stick around. Have you ever wondered if your investments could do more? I mean, a whole lot more. This is Rahema Kavuga, Synod Relations Manager of Lutheran Church Extension Fund. When you invest with us, you not only earn a competitive interest rate, but your investment goes to strengthen Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations through low-cost loans and services. To learn more, visit lcef.org backslash invest101. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Friday, August twenty-first. We're looking at Proverbs chapter one, verses one through seven. We've got Pastor Dustin Beck with us. He serves at Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Warda, Texas. He also teaches uh, New Testament, yeah, at Faith Lutheran High School in Central Texas. So hopefully they're listening.
1: And I'm they can, two days in. They're, they're they can get to be some extra credit right now. Oh, okay. Yeah.
0: Well, maybe maybe the next time you're you're with us, we'll we'll give them some extra credit if they when we talk about the New Testament. What's extra time. credit? I don't know. You're the teacher, not me. I'm asking the questions here. So, Pastor Beck, let's actually read the text now. We we spent a lot of time introducing the book of Proverbs, very helpful information on who Solomon is, his background, the idea of wisdom, literature, and poetry. We're gonna see all these features throughout the book of Proverbs and in these first seven verses. Proverbs chapter one, verses one through seven. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight. Verses 1 through 7. So hopefully, and we can point some of these things out along the way, you see some of the ideas of parallelism within the poetry that we're talking about. Not as much imagery, though some here in this text. And, and as you were saying, when it comes to Hebrew poetry, it is often difficult to translate <laughs> The grammatical forms don't always look like they're supposed to the way you learn them in the book, which is true, I think, in English poetry occasionally, too. Yeah,
1: word order and things like that. Word
0: order, and and sometimes, and particularly, this doesn't happen in Hebrew poetry, but when there's some, like, near rhymes sometimes in English, it doesn't always look like the way you're expecting it to. And that's true in Hebrew. And I think that even comes out a hair in the way it's translated into English. Maybe. it. It's hard to to read. Where's where's the sentence? What's I mean, just looking at this text as a whole, verse yeah. seven, I think, is one of those more famous it verses. It yeah. does stand alone, but those verses two through
1: six, like
0: where's the sentence? What? Yeah, just if, give us a, a bit of a structure here. If
1: you type this into a word processor, <laughs> I'm pretty sure it would have the red squiggly line under it, and it would say "fragment." Consider revising. Right. Um, so I feel like I've got a one up on King Solomon's wisdom here. <laughs> Uh, because I understand how to write a sentence. I'm just kidding. I'm not a poet. Um, so when we read through this, uh, we need to look at uh, verses two through six uh, as this this big, long uh, exhortation, okay? Um, the, we're building up to verse five, which in verse five, you finally actually get, um, You get. I guess you could call it a verb, right? Um, you get, uh, I mean, it's, a, 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 correct me, this is a Joseph.
0: Yes. Yes. Oh, yes, okay. it is. Uh, uh, it is. Which ex- is a, a third person yeah, imperative. Exactly. Yes. So
1: a third person imperative. So, uh, you know, uh, um, I, I, I don't know. This was always confusing to me in Hebrew. Right. Because you have the first person cohortative. I, I know we're getting into we're getting into the Ooh, nerdy part. Nerd alert. Yeah, I know. So you have the first person imperative, which is like, you know, it's always in the plural. Right. Like, let us go to the store. Right, you have the second person imperative, which is "go to the store," and then you have the third person imperative, which is like "kids go to the store,"
0: right? Or, or even the, the and this is the case: the "wise" yeah ought to or must go to is the, store the idea. idea. Yeah, it's it's hard to you know to in in English the imperative is is second yeah. person right. You is the implied subject, yeah. but this can be done as you said with the first and the third person. It's the, just weird the in us. English. It's cloudy. right. Generally, you're going to see let us, or uh, let the wise, Jesus in the the Gospels will say, the one who has ears, let him hear. And I I think the, the point we should make with this is the idea of let him hear, or as it says here, let the wise hear, is not, an, an idea of allowance, but it is a command. Exactly. It is a command to the wise ones to hear. And, an and we that doesn't right. It doesn't always come through that way in English. Yeah. So we want to understand it that way.
1: Continue. Right. So this is the command hear so that you may increase in learning, and that the one who understands may obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. That's the point of verses two through six. Okay. And everything is building up to that. And maybe the way, uh, to understand this uh, better in English is to add um, in order before all of these twos, right? So you've got in order to know wisdom and instruction, let the wise hear and increase in learning in order to understand words of insight, let the wise hear and increase in learning in order to receive instruction and wise dealing, let the wise hear and increase in learning, right? So it is in order to do everything in verses two, three, and four. That the wise ought to listen, that the wise ought to increase in learning um, that's that's the thrust of all of this, and this again, this serves not necessarily as a proverb itself, but maybe as a as a um, as an introduction, as kind of a this is the banner under which all the rest of the proverbs are going to fall, right We want the wise to hear, to listen, to increase in learning. And I, I love that, um, that the, the first uh, imperative that's given here is listen, right? Um, what, a, what a great, um, what a great uh, summary, what a great, um, you know, if you boil down the Christian faith, it really comes down to, you know, listen to the word of the Lord. Right. And listening is uh, we think of listening as something that's completely passive um, and something that, you know, yeah, I'm listening to you. Right. Uh, but the idea of that, that Hebrew word, um, you know, that, that concept, that whole concept of listening is much more of, of listening and taking to heart. Right. I think the King James would use the word hearken. Right. Um, you hearken to something, which means you listen to it. But then it changes you, it affects you, it, it it has um it has its way with you such that now that this information is entered into my ears, now it has changed my heart. And that's the point of all of the wisdom of Proverbs, um, is that this wisdom would inform our hearts so that we might trust more uh more more purely, more faithfully, more more truly in told us his people, who has led us out of Egypt and into the promised land, uh, right? In the New Testament, he leads us out of the Egypt of of sin and slavery and death into the promised land of life eternal, uh, awaiting the resurrection of all flesh.
0: So in these verses, we do have an invitation into the rest of the book of Proverbs. Exactly. Verses, well, verse one, you've got the author compiler Solomon. Two through six are the opening command and invitation the purpose behind it and we can talk right. about both of those and then verse 7 is going to provide a theme for really the whole book of proverbs just yeah. as a way of laying this text out yeah i
1: mean this is um this is uh, in in formal writing when we used to have to write papers right this is this is the topical sentence this is the um the theme of the rest of the paper uh, right the fear of the lord is the beginning of knowledge fools despise wisdom and instruction so there you've got that, that parallelism by contrast, right? Um, and, you know, the fear of the Lord, uh, man, that's a topic, isn't it?
0: Yeah, <laughs> for sure, for sure. That, and I think that, well, let's just keep going there. I, w- I do want to come up to verses 2 through 6 Yeah, still, well, we can still, still go there. Yeah, uh,
1: But, I mean, you know, understanding verses 2 through 6 in light of verse 7, yes. you know, I, I think that that really helps us to unpack it because the fear of the Lord, uh, it refers to, um, uh, on the one hand, fear yeah 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 because uh because god is god we are not um he is the creator of all things the author of all things um and just like you know i was writing notes for today um if i turned that pencil around and decided to erase them right god is the he's the author of all things and if he decides to turn that metaphorical cosmic pencil around and erase something it's gone it's toast it's it's done for right and so we have this concept of because God is overall, because God has created all, um, there is a healthy amount of fear that you know um we know that god is in charge of all of this right um there's also the idea just the vastness of god um that kind of causes you to to have this this fear of admiration this fear of respect for god um i remember uh you know when when you and i were were younger when we were probably kids confirmation age there was kind of it wasn't in vogue to talk at least where i grew up it wasn't in vogue to talk about being uh, having fear towards god it was always like you no know, fear always means respect and I, I think I'm a little bit more comfortable having a little healthy fear of the fact that, um, you know, it's almost kind of like when C.S. Lewis, you know, in the Chronicles of Narnia mm-hmm. talks about, uh, you know, Aslan the lion, right? Um, you're supposed to be afraid of a lion, you know? Is he tame? No, but he's good, yeah. right? So there's, there's a little bit of that, that God is uh, – he, um, he is jealous for his people, um, but at the same time, uh, that fear ultimately winds up looking like trust and faith.
0: Yeah. And yeah, That's
1: why Luther in, uh, in the small catechism talks about the first commandment, you shall have no other gods. What does this mean? We should fear, love, trust in God above all things. Right? He is the one uh, that is takes the, the first place in everything uh, as far as our attentions, as far as our affections go, um, and indeed as far as uh, as our fears and our, our, our wisdom go.
0: Yeah, I think the way you said it about God is God and we are not. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a very helpful way of understanding the fear of the Lord. So God is God, I am not. And then how do I stand in relation to him? And, and as Christians, that's where you do get a bit of tension, because yeah. on the one hand, I do stand as a sinner before God. And well, what, what should God do to me or what could God do to me? Both of those questions come to bear. And there is a healthy sense of fear and trembling kind of fear yeah. that we always need to retain, even apart from being a, a sinner, but even just being his creature. He is the one who created me. There there does need to be that I'm, I'm not God, and He has ultimate authority over me. Now, as a Christian, and, and the fact that we know the Lord through His Son, Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, ascended for us, yeah. that does then take that fear and trembling aspect and turn it into, as you're talking about, faith, trust, love for Him, as Luther puts it in the Catechism. And, and we do need to hold on to both of those at the same time so that we don't lose either one, so that you know Jesus isn't he doesn't become sort of buddy Jesus who who kind of just agrees with whatever i i want to do anyways right and and also so that we don't lose you know the gospel so that we don't become terrified of god to the point of despair we must see him through his son jesus christ and see that he does love us and right. in then in that we do trust in him we love him and and this fear of the lord here in verse 7 this is we were talking about what makes proverbs unique in wisdom literature from secular sources I, i'm convinced that this is this is it
1: this, yeah this is a- absolutely it is that um what is the point of wisdom in the book of proverbs the point of wisdom in the book of proverbs is that you would get to know god yeah right um you get to know god in the in the right way right <clears throat> adam and eve <laughs> they got to know god in the wrong way they, they you know listen to the voice of the devil in the, in, the, in the the garden, and so they went, and they attained to have the wisdom of God, the knowledge of God, um, in a way that was of their own choosing and God just doesn 't give that to us he doesn 't say you get to pick your own path or you get to write your own story. He, instead he lays out before us here is uh, true wisdom from above, and so we have the opportunity to grow in this wisdom uh, to learn who we are in God's eyes um, and to, uh, as as we grow in that, we get to know God more. And as we get to go know God more, uh, my goodness, I mean, it's his grace and his gospel for us. Uh, they just, they, they keep uh, running over as Psalm 23 talks about, right? There's just more and more of the good stuff.
0: Right. Going back up then to the sure. the introduction two through six, these purpose clauses, the command to listen, one of the things that, that stands you know, in those purpose clauses, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand, to receive, I think that's, even though it's not as obvious, there is an example of some parallelism there, that you've got these parallel statements, even if they're not perfectly the same yeah. length or something like that. Right, right. You get down to verse four, mm-hmm. that you're, part of the purpose is to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. But these the simple those those who do not yet know the yeah. youth i mean we've been talking about the idea of teaching children right. within the book of proverbs those are are pretty obvious candidates i think for the book of proverbs that that you would want those who do not yet know those who are young to read these things and learn these things yeah
1: the the idea of the simple there is not really just the um kind of the the Less, less intelligent, right? That's right. not what we're looking for. Um, the, the word simple there kind of – it either implies kind of being open-minded right, uh, or unformed. Hmm. I really liked that idea. The, uh, the, those who have not yet been formed, to give prudence to them. Right to, to teach them uh, the ways of righteousness, to teach them the ways of truth, and then to give knowledge and discretion to the youth, those very same people who have not yet been formed in terms of their worldview, in terms of the way that they, they view things around them, in terms of they, they interact with the world around them.
0: Yeah, the unformed, the untaught, yeah. perhaps. I don't know if that's actually a word, untaught, but it is now. It's a good one. So, but then what, what stands out is that in verse 5, the actual command is, let the wise hear. Yeah. and increase in learning. So there's this this idea that you don't graduate from the book of Proverbs. Right. You you continue to need this wisdom that the Lord has, even when you, and in fact, part of what makes you wise then is that you recognize you need wisdom and you right. have to continue learning it.
1: Yeah, lifelong learners for sure. You know, I mean, uh, the day you stop learning is the day you stop living, right? So uh, the idea here is that um, wisdom Maybe we could say wisdom grades on a curve, like wisdom, there are there are toddlers <laughs> who have the wisdom, right? And so let the wise learn uh, hear and increase in learning. Uh, the the ones who are wise are the ones who listen. They're the ones who are receptive, the ones who acknowledge their simpleness or their unformed or their what did you say? Their un- untaughtness. Un- you said, said it better. I the just first said time. untaught. Yeah, that was better. Yeah. I don't know. So their their state of being untaught um, those are the ones who are wise you know the people who aren't wise the people who are fools are the people who think i've learned it all i've i've been there and done that i've heard this one before you know the people who think that they've got it all figured out the people you know it's amazing because this is actually i mean this kind of rings true with the entire christian faith is that the people who think that they've got it all figured out i mean the pharisees Right the scribes, the Sadducees, all of these people who should know better, they don't they're the ones who don't get it. they're the ones who are on the outside looking in, and instead it's the broken it's the it's the untaught right It's the sinners and the prostitutes and the tax collectors that say we're we're completely empty in and of ourselves. we need to be taught, we need to be filled up, and Jesus is there pouring out his word for them. Uh, so maybe that's, maybe that's the best way to read the book of Proverbs um, is from the perspective of being, yeah, the one who needs to learn something, okay?
0: Yeah, in, in Matthew chapter 11, mm-hmm. right before yeah. Jesus gets to the, come to me all who labor in every labor, he, yeah. we sometimes forget these verses before, but he, he, he thanks his father yeah. that he's hidden these things from the wise, yeah. from the wise and understanding and instead revealed them to little children. And, and there you have to understand well, how is Jesus using the word wise and how is Solomon using the word wise? Did
1: they have air quotes? <laughs> Maybe that's, yes, judgment? yes.
0: Let's, let's, <laughs> you can't see this, but air, wise, right? And when Jesus is talking about the wise understanding, he's, he's talking about it exactly as you are, that those who consider themselves wise, right. which is, is going to be part of what Solomon is going to tell us in the book of Proverbs. That's what Foolishness
1: looks like, and I mean, this is the same conversation Paul has in First Corinthians one, right? About the the wisdom of this world, the the debater of this age. Um, where is the wise, right? Um, Paul's pretty clear that we are here to preach Christ and him crucified, right? Which is a stumbling block to those who would seek sign after sign, after sign, after sign. And it's foolishness. It's folly. It's the dumbest thing they've ever heard to people who are looking for something that's sophisticated, right? Um, Instead, this is the wisdom of God. This is the power of God. It's Jesus dying on the cross. Okay. Does it get any better than that? I don't think it does.
0: We still have seven minutes, though, so we need okay. to talk a little well, we bit can, more. Yeah, but, you're, but, you're, but you're right. No, you're, you're right that, that that what looks like the folly weakness to us, yeah. God in his wisdom makes use of for our salvation.
1: Because you can't figure it out on your own. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I'm sorry. I took the I No, was go ahead. <laughs> no, that's OK. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. So one of the questions that uh, that was rattling around in my head when I, I, I saw that we were going to be studying Proverbs, we're going to be introducing the book today. Um, One of the things that popped into my head is, you know, there is a lot of wisdom in the world. And just like we talked before about, you know, the stove is hot, um, you know, cold weather brings about frostbite, things like that. Um, People can learn that without reading the book of Proverbs. In fact, I don't think that stoves are hot is even in the book of Proverbs. It might be. It might be. You know better than that. Did
0: Solomon have a stove? Uh,
1: He was. he was an electric stove guy, not okay. a gas stove, and they didn't have electric stove. I figured to be wood burning. Then. Well, they didn't have electric, and so he did not have an actual stove. Uh, we're <laughs> we're getting uh, getting Sorry. off track here. That's just fine. Now, the question that popped into my head, though, is: um, Can somebody learn the wisdom of the world, or we would say the wisdom of creation, and then discover the fear of the Lord? And this is, uh, I mean, this is a big topic because you find people who are learned men and women. You find people who seem to have life figured out. You find people um, who are outside of faith in Jesus Christ, and yet they seem on the outside to have it all figured out, right? Um, And so uh, that was the question that popped into my head is, can somebody kind of, can they put the cart before the horse or put the horse behind the cart? Yeah, I said the both of those, right? Can somebody do it that way and then come to the knowledge of the truth uh you know from a roundabout way? Can they get there through a different uh, a different door? Maybe I just tipped my hand at my answer. <laughs> uh the best answer I could come up with was a, was a was a qualified maybe kind of sort of because worldly wisdom can absolutely build a framework into which faith can fit. Right? I mean, if somebody uh, because think about it this way, Right. Um, worldly wisdom would potentially include things like, well, the second table of the Ten Commandments. Right. Um, and I've said this, you know, for years to Bible classes and things is that the second table of the Ten Commandments, which is summarized, love your neighbor as yourself. Right. Um, on a pr- purely practical level, life seems to go better for you when you don't murder, or lie cheat, steal, you know, when you're content, life seems to go a little bit better for you, all things being equal, just very on a practical, you know, kind of smell test level. You know, if you're not, if you don't murder people, you don't wind up having to go to jail or you don't wind up being murdered back, right? Uh, Things tend to go better for you. That sets up somewhat of a framework, but it can also turn you into a Pharisee because the Pharisees, you know, they, they did a really good job of not killing, not adulterating, not I just created a word, not uh, lying, cheating, stealing, etc. cetera, um, you know, all of this kind of stuff. And they thought that they had it all figured out. But then Jesus kind of wrecks all of that in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, you know, if you've ever been angry with somebody, well, who among us hasn't been angry at somebody? If you've ever been angry at somebody, you know, it's, it's like you did the murder in your heart. It counts, Jesus says. So worldly wisdom can build this framework, but faith itself, Paul says in Romans 10, comes by hearing. It has to be preached to you, or I guess you could re- you could read it on, on, on the page, you know, because we're all we're mostly literate now. And we have Bibles and things like that. But faith comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. The fear of the Lord comes through the Holy Spirit teaching us right again, back to teaching. Right. And how does teaching occur? Um, well, the Lord speaks and we listen. That's, that's, that's the way that it works. It doesn't work any other way. It doesn't work uh, by your own power, by your own strength, by your own will. Um, it happens when the word of the Lord, the gospel, is proclaimed to you in the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, So the wisdom of this creation is ultimately going to fail because it just doesn't answer for everything. There are thoughts and conclu- conclusions. There are implications that just don't seem to add up. OK, this is going to come out in things like the origins of creation itself. Um, Ultimately, one has to believe there's faith involved um, in uh, that topic. Right. So either Big Bangs um, or that time itself uh, is the one eternal fixture in the cosmos. Right. That somehow everything exists forever and somehow you know, stuff has always been. I, I, I can't wrap my rat, my head around that. You, you were a math major. You get it, right? No, um, or simply that there is a god, right? Uh, uh, we talked in our New Testament class uh, on the first day uh, about the fact that everybody has a god, right? And so, religion is something that is universal to mankind. Um, even atheists have a god. Um, they won't use a capital G like we would, uh, but everybody has a god. Um, and if yours is not the true god. Um, Your God ultimately winds up being yourself, right? Your own experiences, your own wisdom, your own thoughts, right? And so um, the same problem exists, the same – place that wisdom of this creation fails, uh, comes up in terms of salvation, comes up in terms of the point of this life, right? Apart from faith, questions of the goodness of God or the power of God become pitted against each other, right? So if God is good, um, you know, and and God wants everybody to be saved, um, well then, and God is all-powerful, well then why are some not saved? This is a huge issue, and it's one that we can't tackle in just two or three minutes, but Oh, in one minute, oh my goodness, we're winding down here. Uh, The point of Proverbs is to know God by faith, and knowing God by faith is the wisdom that matters. It's the wisdom that counts. It's the wisdom that'll matter eternally, and it's the wisdom that we'll grow in as we study the book of Proverbs by faith.
0: Pastor Dustin Beck is the pastor at Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Warda, Texas, helping us this morning with Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Pastor Beck, thanks for being our guest today. My pleasure. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. This is the theme for the book of Proverbs, that wisdom, knowledge cannot be complete apart from faith in the one true God, the one who created you, the one who saved you in his son, Jesus Christ, the one who makes you holy and takes you to the resurrection of the dead on the last day. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again next week.